0: I'm Michael Cross, host of the KOSU Daily Podcast. Every weekday, I bring you the biggest Oklahoma stories of the day with reporting and analysis from our team of journalists and partners. Get the news you need to start your day in less than 10 minutes. Find the KOSU Daily in your podcast feed and subscribe now.
1: This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by the Oklahoma State Medical Association, cornerstone of Oklahoma medicine with physician members who are committed to better health for all Oklahomans. Learn more at okmed.org.
0: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross. And it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. The State Equalization Board released the final numbers for lawmakers to craft the fiscal year 2025 budget, which starts on July 1st. The legislature has more than $11 billion to allocate for state agencies and programs. Because of the extra money, the Senate has passed a bill to cut the state's portion of grocery taxes. Neva, do you think the governor will sign this legislation?
1: Well, the governor all along has said, put it on my desk and I'll sign it. So I think that's a given. Mm -hmm. Uh, And certainly, this is the movement that we've seen for the last couple of weeks. The, The sticking point was, let's get the final numbers from the Board of Equalization. That occurred. And as you say... As you say, Michael. I mean, these were numbers where, when you look at them, it was 85 million more than the board certified back in December. Mm -hmm. So um, it uh, it certainly it certainly sets up well. And yet there was there was a little bit of a twist. I thought in that meeting because the attorney general, who's a member of the board of equalization, Mm -hmm. he declined to certify the budget projections when they met on uh, met last Thursday and. he basically is saying uh, that uh, you look at these numbers and you can't always expect that they're going to be revenue increases. Sometimes they're decreases. He made the point that uh, in looking at the individual and corporate income tax collections, they were lower than what the what was uh, uh, the board saw in December. He made the point that uh, if sales taxes, uh, sales tax collections. Uh, are looking down. I mean that 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 has to be taken into consideration. Question the projections on the oil and gas uh, uh, taxes. So at the end of all of that, he basically he basically uh, said that he lacked confidence in these uh, in these revenue uh, numbers. So um, th- that's that's unusual. Usually these are pro forma meetings where uh, everyone on the board of equalization. Uh, Uh, affirms those numbers and moves on. So uh, I thought that was an interesting twist on the part of General uh, Drummond.
2: Well, and it was also, I mean, you've gotten also some disagreement between the House and the Senate over what these recurring revenue numbers are going to be. And so it is, is, I think, a bit unusual to walk away from that Board of Equalization meeting uh, without a common set of numbers that everybody's working with and uh, having doubt about what the actual revenue forecast for the state is going to be. Uh, I think we've got a pretty good ballpark. I think that everyone there tends to agree that these are conservative estimates, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's better to you know come in uh, under than it is to come in over. And uh, they there are a, a lot of interesting questions that the attorney general was raising. I mean, he you know talked about you know we're we're not that far removed from the point, uh, and and I think you know Senate Appropriations Chair uh, Roger Thompson made made this point as well. We weren't that far. We aren't that far removed from the point where. We had $4 in our savings account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and had to do dramatic things to raise revenue. Uh, to raise taxes in the state of Oklahoma is an extraordinarily difficult political act. And to put yourself in a position where you have you know, given away everything and then you find yourself in a position without revenue, then lawmakers are, are stuck with a situation of do we make really drastic cuts to agencies or are we able to muster the political courage and numbers to raise taxes? And one of the points that I think you heard from General Drummond that you heard from Chairman Thompson is that a lot of the lawmakers that are in the building right now, because of term limits, a lot of turnover, they did not experience that. They've had year after year of your money coming in the door, which is amazing, and you know figuring out how do we get to spend this money or you know where should we send this money back to taxpayers? That's a very different proposition than we were, you know, just you know not even ten years ago, uh, for multiple years in a row. Uh, so I think, you know, coming out of the Board of Equalization meeting, you know, there are differing views as to where those numbers ultimately land. I think that we're kind of in the ballpark. But I do think that it underscores what Senator Treat, uh, the president pro temp of the state Senate, has been saying is that the Senate does not have any desire to pass mm-hmm. tax cuts in addition to the grocery tax cut that was passed today.
0: Do you support the idea that this grocery tax? You, you've supported it all along. Does Absolutely, this doesn't work for you because I know there were like varying views out there.
2: Yeah, and you know I think that this is a really smart approach. It doesn't eliminate the grocery t- sales tax, uh, which is an important thing because uh, the municipalities are still going to be able to tax. If you if the state eliminated and the counties the, as well. and the counties correct if, if the uh, if the local governments uh, want to uh, assess those taxes, they have to have a state tax. That they're able to reflect. So if they just eliminate altogether, altogether, we wouldn't be there. You know, Sean Ashley with Quorum Call had a really good tweet, uh, uh, tweet thread about this, or, or X thread, whatever it is. <laughs> um, you, know, th- you know, if Elon Musk did one good thing, he broke Twitter. Uh, so. But the, uh, you know, he kind of explains that they had to take it to zero, which is what they've done. And they've also put a moratorium on local governments from raising their taxes on this as well to try to say, all right, well. For two years, I believe it was. Yeah, I think it was actually one year. It's one year. year. Uh, I think that lawmakers probably extend that at some point if we see interest in municipalities or county governments wanting to take advantage of that lower, uh, the elimination of the state tax. Yeah.
0: Edmond Public Schools is challenging an order by the State Department of Education to remove two books from its library. The agency threatened to downgrade the district if it didn't comply, so the school board chose to take the issue to the state Supreme Court. The rule calling for the removal of the books was presented last year by State Superintendent Ryan Walters without instruction from the legislature, so Attorney General Gettner Drummond says it's invalid and can't be enforced. Ryan, does Edmund Schools have a case here?
2: Absolutely, they do. I, I had a call uh, a couple of few weeks ago with Justin Clyburn, who's one of the brilliant attorneys representing Edmund Public Schools. And whenever we talked, I didn't know who the client was. Uh, I didn't even know what the books were. Uh, we just had a conversation about rulemaking authority of state agencies. And it's very clear that Edmund Public Schools uh, has a strong case here. I'm, I'm confident that the State Department of Education's reliance on this rule is an overreach. That's not just me. Look at Attorney General Gittner Drummond; he has said as much as in an opinion. Um, if you look at what the State Department of Education and Ryan Walters are advancing here, it's a very liberal argument. Uh, you know, for a guy who you know purports to be this, uh, you know, this you know super conservative, I don't think he really understands what a conservative means in terms of the operation of government and and power and separation of powers. Because essentially, what they're saying is that the legislature. Uh, doesn't have to give them the authority, the State Department of Education, to make these rules. Uh, that they have a general grant of power from the Constitution that they've just kind of dreamed up out of nowhere. Uh, that this general grant of power that they can kind of do whatever the heck they want, unless the legislature says no. That is a radical expansion of governmental power. Uh, and you know, I you know even even for you know somebody that like myself, you know who doesn't run around calling himself you know the super conservative of Oklahoma that seems just a bridge too far Uh, you know separation of powers are an essential uh, part of how our democratic system of government works in the state at the federal level as well Uh, and for them to try to usurp that power away from the legislature uh, who have granted the legislature didn't just say we're not going to deal with this they've given that power to local school boards the processes have been in place for local school boards and local communities to look at the literature that are in their libraries for years for years now and you know this is just a big power grab from the State Department of Education so that you know the the superintendent uh, Ryan Walters can impress his good friend over at libs of TikTok, and you know maybe get you know some some views and uh, I, don't, I don't even know. You know, he's 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 more of an influencer uh, or wannabe influencer than he is a uh, an elected official. Neva?
1: You're right as far as the time frame, Ryan. I mean, it's really kind of ironic. Uh, the Edmond School District, I mean, they've had this policy in place since uh, 1997, according to the uh, uh, superintendent when she was making some of her comments earlier this week, that means that Ryan Walters was 12 years old <laughs> when uh, when this policy was put in place. It's been in place. Uh, it, it allows for parents to request that a book be reviewed uh, and possibly removed. Uh, and so this is talking about education and decisions being made, as you say, at the local school level. And so this case, as the superintendent talked about, She made the statements, words to the effect that really this is not about the books in question. It's about who has the right to decide Mm -hmm. uh, what books should be in the library and who can say what books can be removed from that library. So it definitely is something that uh, heads to the courts and, and needs to be resolved because... Uh, Again, as we've talked about multiple times on this uh, program, I mean, we have a superintendent as he engages in these kinds of uh, conversations and challenges to to school. Uh, school districts on whether or not they're going to uh, take down their accreditation or other things. He also laces it with uh, very inf- very highly charged inflammatory mm-hmm. rhetoric. I mean talking about uh, that this is uh, you know that this is just uh, the Edmond Public Schools basically just allowing uh, kids to have porn in schools and doubling down and and really uh, making this a conversation that is not uh, something clearly when you look at what's happening in the Edmund schools. This is, I think there were five, there were five. Um, Uh, Questions that were raised, uh, whether by parents or others, about uh, these particular these particular books. So the idea that there's some groundswell uh, in the Edmond School District uh, and that there's this growing concern over the books in the library, uh, nothing so far that I've read or seen uh, seems to substantiate that. So I think it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens when it makes its uh, when the Supreme Court uh, decides. Mm -hmm decides on the matter
2: you know and I think you know, Ryan Walters has this idea not just that they're making pornography available I, I think that he's you know, thinking of like Clockwork Orange, and they're like putting the kids in, in, in seats and like holding their eyeball, their eyelids open and like forcing them to watch pornography, which is just nuts, I mean, uh, to begin with. But that's the kind of the image that he's putting because out there. Because parents always have a choice. I mean, right, parents right.
1: have a choice in which books their children are going to read, whether it's in a high school or elementary school, throughout the district. So again, it becomes a very blurred conversation that becomes politically charged, and, and that's unfortunate, but... Uh, When uh, I think it becomes confusing, perhaps, to many parents and patrons in the district trying to sort it out and figure out who's on first and what's really going on.
0: A question I'm getting is when do we think the Supreme Court will hear something like this? Because, I mean, it's it's, now the Department of Board of Education met. They did not do an action, so they didn't downgrade it this past week. Mm -hmm. But they certainly could have because it's already been a threat to them. So this has got to happen pretty fast.
2: Well, I, you know, and I think that the the court. If they want, you know, if this does happen, if you see uh, an actual uh, effort to reduce their accreditation, the court would have it in their power to say, no, we're going to put a pause button on that until we resolve these underlying legal issues. But we know that this is an imminent threat uh, that Edmond Public Schools is facing uh, from the State Department of Education, and they shouldn't have to wait until their accreditation is voted as downgraded. Uh, I think one
1: of the attorneys said that they thought it might be 30 days, so so it it would be fairly quick. I think
2: the court can move very quick on this. Yeah, you know, and looking even, and I know that the lawsuit says this isn't about the books, but if you look at the books, <laughs> you know, the, the Kite Runner, uh, you know, this is a book that, that Laura Bush, the former first lady of the United States, praised at a White House dinner. Now, you know, maybe Ryan Walters was reading the Wikipedia entry on that really fast and, and saw like, you know, Larry Flint instead of Laura Bush. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, this just, the, the idea that this is pornography or the idea that kids have to read these things uh, is is just ridiculous. So it's it really uh, speaks to his ignorance of how public schools actually operate and really to his commitment of this fantasy of how he wants to make people believe they operate in an effort to gain influence on social media.
0: The state Supreme Court plans to hear arguments over a Catholic virtual charter school on April 2nd. The justices will listen to the challenge from Attorney General Gettner Drummond over what would be the nation's first publicly funded religious school. Neva, any idea of what we can expect on April 2nd?
1: Uh, well, I think it'll be fascinating, first of all, and will be live streamed. So mm-hmm. I think this will uh, there will be a lot of uh, folks, not only in Oklahoma, but across the nation, I suspect, that will uh, be following this with great interest. Uh, we'll see kind of a heads up of what the framework is going to look like on the 30-minute uh, presentations by both sides. When they file their uh, information, I think it's on March 19th, where they will give the names uh, uh, of the attorneys that will be arguing uh, arguing the case, who will be s- seated at the attorney's tables in the courtroom, and uh, also uh, the allocation of time uh, by both sides of, for these attorneys that will be uh, presenting before the court. So. It will be. It will be as we've talked about all along. This is precedent-setting. Uh, uh, a precedent-setting case and something that is uh, uh, being viewed nationwide uh, with the implications uh, of this being potentially the first um, re- public religious charter school uh, in the country. So, uh, uh, and and I think the other thing is the legal challenge that was filed back in July. Uh, in the district court that's still sitting uh, may continue to sit now until they uh, see what happens at the uh, at the Supreme Court but um, no question this is something that Attorney General Drummond has felt strongly about and uh, I think we will see uh, his, his presentation and rebuttal to be very forceful uh, during this uh, during this uh, oral arguments that takes place on April 2nd.
2: Right. Yeah, and General Drummond has some very skilled attorneys in the Attorney General's office, but I wouldn't be surprised if General Drummond doesn't take this oral argument himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, you know, he is a uh, an ex- very experienced litigator, a uh, very experienced attorney. It wouldn't be a stretch for him at all to stand in front of the full Supreme Court. And as Neva said, live streamed. They're holding this hearing at the Supreme Court building, at the, st- at the Supreme Court chambers in the state capitol. You know, now there's a judicial center where they've got a courtroom over there, but they're doing this at the state capitol, my understanding. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's my and, understanding. And so it really does, I think, demonstrate uh, the gravity of this case and, and the potential for this case to become a precedent setting across the nation as the first of its kind that would hit the United States Supreme Court because whatever happens coming out of this case, whatever might happen coming out of the district court case, and I agree with you, Neva, that Judge Ogden's probably gonna hit the pause button on that and see what the, Sup- the state Supreme Court does first uh, before it moves on. But this is r- really uh, you know, just, I think, demonstrates that everyone, the, the justices, the attorneys involved, uh, the parties involved, Everyone knows what the stakes are. Um, and to have a, a full on banc hearing uh, of the Oklahoma State Supreme Court isn't routine. Uh, most cases that go to the state Supreme Court are either disposed of after a hearing in front of a referee who then makes recommendations uh, to the justices and then the justices consider those recommendations and all of the briefings that have been filed. A lot of decisions are made based on briefings alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even whenever you do have oral arguments, um, you know to have it of this sort of magnitude. Uh, this is something that doesn't happen all that often. and. You know tune into the live stream or, or go you know those are the cheap seats or or go to the capitol <laughs> if you can and, and, and get in and watch because i think that uh, regardless of what side you sit on on this uh you're going to see some uh hopefully excellent lawyering uh from oklahoma attorneys in front of an oklahoma court that will set the stage for something that the united states supreme court hears whether it's in a year or two or three years
1: 10 o'clock on april 2nd uh, yeah good also, I was want to have a question
0: though. The, um, the now, of course, certainly they can argue about the separation about church and state and and things like that. But also, there is the legitimacy of the vote itself. What do you think the Drummond's going to try and focus on? Is it going to be all of all or all in everything, or just on certain parts?
2: Well, you know, if, as an attorney, one of the things that you're always going to have in, in your your strategy, or or you're usually you're going to have in your strategy, is to give an opportunity to the court to make a decision that is the least Impactful, right? I mean, courts, courts typically don't like to uh, come to an opinion that's going to change the legal landscape. Um, you know, of course, we've seen that in the last few years, especially out of the U.S. Supreme Court. But as a matter of uh, judicial prudence, if a judge has or justice uh, has uh, an opportunity to resolve a case without blowing everything up, that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so if there's an opportunity for the court to say, you know what? It's, it doesn't matter whether or not these rules are constitutional or not. It doesn't matter whether or not this charter school is constitutional or not under the state constitution or the United States constitution. This, this vote was improper to begin with, mm-hmm. so go back to square one. Um, you know, I think that that's got to be a part of the, the case that, the, uh, that General Drummond and his team make to the court.
0: Oklahoma County commissioners have voted to put a new jail at a location in southeast OKC. The decision came despite hearing from opposition to the site at its as it's less than a mile from Crooked Oak School District. There was also opposition from northeast OKC where activists marched to the commissioner's meeting. Ryan, is the location on East Grand Boulevard a done
2: deal? It doesn't seem, uh, I wouldn't say that the, the ink is dry on this thing at all. It is in terms of the sites that have been considered, it has uh, become the furthest along uh, to becoming the actual jail site. Uh, the, the airport, I think, was really a pipe dream. There were so many hurdles that, that uh, needed to be overcome before that was ever an eligible option. Uh, other other locations that the, uh, the county has looked at haven't made it this far along. So you've got two commissioners that have voted in favor of it, but you also had a resolution to um, uh, ask the engineers that were involved in site selection consider some other sites as well uh including one down by the oklahoma city uh farmers market area that i think commissioner bloomert is is really encouraging the the uh, site consultants to look at as well uh time's running out and so you know you've got federal dollars that have to be spent the crunch is on nobody wants this in their backyard um Mm -hmm. that's i mean and that's wholly understandable uh dell city has said listen uh Dell City for years has just kind of taken whatever Oklahoma City has thrown at it or Oklahoma County has thrown at it, but not right now. Uh, and so, if if they if they move forward with this site, that's you know right on the border of Dell City, you know Dell City has said that they have over a hundred thousand dollars in the bank ready to fight this. Um, it, it remains unclear what their legal challenge would be at this point, but if you're really Uh, Just bent on keeping this from happening and you've got that kind of money You know that'll get a legal case moving and could delay stuff uh, and and make other sites more feasible You know just a couple of things and we've mentioned them on on the program before uh, at least You know some of the things that I care about having the jail close by to the courthouse seems just so important and none of these sites Really meet that requirement now there is a group of folks out there saying you know no new jail um, and if you have uh, had any experience with that Oklahoma County jail, um, and I, I represent families that have lost loved ones in that Oklahoma County jail, uh, the idea that we can just somehow you know band-aid that place up again and again and again is to me just uh, you know a non-starter. I mean, there has to be a new jail. Uh, it's just a matter of where it's located. and that decision, going to be made pretty soon and right now we've got a division on the on the board of county commissioners but you've got two folks two votes in favor of a location uh so um you know the other locations have an uphill climb to overcome the dell city spot
0: neva
1: well and i think it, that's what it comes down to uh, it, you have a board of county commissioners three commissioners. It takes two votes to get anything done. They had the two votes. Commissioner Blumert all along uh, made it clear she was never going to support uh, this uh, site that was uh, selected uh, for the for the new jail. But next step is uh, to go through the process of uh, negotiating a price for the property. This 71 acres. Uh, The landowners uh, have uh, already had some uh, dollar figures out there I think. Uh, They've also Um, talked about that they would do an exchange for the property where the existing jail is so they'll have to negotiate through all of that and as you say Ryan with all of these proposed sites from from day one uh, all of them have to be looked at and this one will as well ultimately you've got to look at you've got to look at all of the things that come along with it the zoning issues the um, uh, other issues in terms of the environmental conditions and if there's need for road improvements, if uh, the land cost, if if that comes at, at a much higher figure than what they're calculating or estimating. So there are a lot of things that still could uh, put a hitch in this, mm-hmm. but there's such pressure on the commissioners to get this moving forward and even from the day that they sign sign the deal and they have have the property and they're ready to move forward architects and engineers and and go full blast on this it's still 5 years before is the uh, is the uh, estimated time frame for the j- new jail to be built so um that with the looming deadlines with ARPA funds and other things that are in this equation uh, there's just a lot more that has to be done and um, and we've talked about the fact that they've they've gotten themselves into a, a almost a desperate situation on the timeline to be able to resolve this. Uh, I think uh, Commissioner Bloomer throwing the, the the relatively new idea on the table, the one that's over by the uh, farmers market that you mentioned Ryan. Uh, whether that's a uh, whether that's an alternative, uh, clearly they've got to continue to have alternatives because they never know the one they pick whether it's it's going to be the real deal or not. So um, it, it, it's interesting to Dell City any community with an uprising, or a number of individuals in the community that are angry about something coming into the community, the city, from a political perspective, is going to engage probably uh, to at least make a stand, make a statement, tr- try to fight the good fight. But whether or not that uh, has much um, uh, sway in the equation in terms of from a from a court standpoint or otherwise, I think that remains to be seen. And $150,000 or whatever the figure that the mayor uh, indicated that they had uh, uh, put in reserve, or we're allocating to start this legal challenge. That may be uh, th- that may be a That'll very small number. <laughs> That's just the starting point. And whether a community can go the long haul and has a good case for that, uh, we'll we'll watch and see what uh, what the folks in Dell City think.
2: Well, and you mentioned negotiations. the uh, The Dell City location, or the Dell City adjacent location, uh, looks like they're negotiating with one landowner right there. Uh, and even though there's a lot of things that could go sideways, I mean, anybody that you know bought a house, I mean, <laughs> 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 and then, seventy-one acres yeah, is a fairly yeah. substantial. It's, it's a huge, know. huge deal. So you've got one landowner there. One of the things that commissioners brought up whenever they were talking about locations right around the uh, current jail site is that you're not just dealing with one landowner, right. you're dealing with multiple landowners. Yeah. And not just multiple landowners, multiple landowners that are developers uh, and, and people that have a vested fiscal interest, financial interest and, and not having that jail built right there right now. Um, and so you know, they probably collectively could put together a greater legal fund to challenge any sort of new jail site than even the city of Dell City can. Yeah. Uh, and so that's you know thinking of how many people you actually have to negotiate with to get the deal done. Uh, that's a big part of what they have to consider right now.
0: The last founding member of the Oklahoma County Jail Trust called it quits earlier this week. After five years, Sue Ann Arnall resigned and expressed frustration at a lack of funding from county officials. Neva, what are your thoughts on her departure?
1: Well, I mean, what she laid out uh, was something certainly everyone uh, ought to at least pay attention to and, and, uh, and look at. And I think the fact that you had these nine original members, she's the last one uh, to, uh, uh, to now uh, retire or go off, uh, puts, puts the whole operation of the jail back into a serious conversation. And her point as she left, uh, she said that, uh, that they had over and over and over again talked over the last five years about the fact that that there had just not been the dollars there. There had not been the commitment to do what was needed, uh, not only to have uh, uh, operations and staffing goals, but really uh, to be able to just adequately run the jail. Period. And as we know, I mean, there's been um, there's been increased scrutiny by the uh, U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, you had the grand jury uh, some time back, the state's multi-county grand jury. They talked about. Uh, um, they called for the trust to be dissolved and wanted the jail to be turned back over to the sheriff. Uh, nothing, um, nothing happened, uh, at least to this point. No action's been taken on that recommendation. And she talked specifically about the fact that, uh, th- that she had pleaded for two years uh, to have the jail's booking area. Uh, remodeled and and made safer and that nothing had happened and the price tag on that according to her was about a million and a half and yet she pointed out that there was 17 and a half million spent on a remodel of the sheriff's offices. Um, I think over five million of that was ARPA funds. So um, she made a pretty strong case for where she was coming from, what her vantage point on all of this is. It's been consistent through the years as she has served on this. And she's someone, let's remember, it's not uh, many people, uh, think of her as a, as a very uh, engaged philanthropist in the community. But she's someone who began as an attorney as a public defender. Mm-hmm. So she certainly understands kind of all sides of this uh, a- equation. And I think, uh, I, th- I think the issue of what they're going to do uh... in the in the coming years while a jail is still being new jail is still being built and we have the atrocious numbers of how many people have died in the existing jail I think it's going to be an interesting uh, conversation uh, with all of the parties as to where they go forward because right now it just seems to be stalled and this is kind of the last uh, major shoe to drop in terms of uh, uh, perhaps seeing some change uh, come about as a result of uh, her comments and her retiring from the uh, trust.
2: Ryan, it's tough to think of anyone who has committed more time, expertise and treasure to uh, the criminal justice reform movement in the state of oklahoma and and in particular in oklahoma county than sue ann Arnall. uh she has a a, just a a very and she's not one of these philanthropists that just you know gives money to give money to organizations i mean she is in this and she you know she uh you know really walks the uh really you know walks the walk whenever it comes to i'm going to invest in this but i'm not just going to invest in this i'm going to put my time into this i'm going to use my expertise here and and the areas where i don't know about it i'm going to spend a ton of time learning about it so uh, it is an enormous loss uh, to the jail trust to lose like some, someone like Suzanne Arnall and, and everything that she's been able to contribute. I, I don't doubt uh, for a second that this means that she is uh, you know, not going to be a continued player in the direction of uh, the reforms to the county jail and the criminal justice system at the state and local level. I mean, she is going to remain involved in that as well. But this really uh, you know, should be an enormous red flag to everyone that is uh, paying attention to the Oklahoma County Jail right now. You know, this comes on the heels of multiple uh, uh, reports from the Department of Justice, the United States Department of Justice, uh, the State Department of Health, the multi-county grand jury. I encourage everyone, if you have not read that multi-county grand jury report and you live in Oklahoma County and you wanna know what's happening with your tax dollars in that Oklahoma County Jail, it read it. It, it, it is not a difficult read. It is not, you know, meant to, uh, be read by attorneys only. This is something that the public should read because when you read that, I mean, this this investigation wasn't an investigation that happened years ago. Uh, this is an investigation that is very contemporaneous with what is actually happening in that jail. And what Sue Ann Arnold's resignation uh, says to me and says to other folks that are paying attention to that county jail is that nothing has changed since that multi-county grand jury report. People that are detained in that in that jail are put in an extraordinarily dangerous Environment. People that work in that county jail mm-hmm. are put in an extraordinarily dangerous environment, and there has not been an effort to respond to uh, you know, what the multi-county grand jury report, and in, in particular, has said needs to happen in order to make this a safer place. You know, we we talked about a, a new jail. We just mentioned it in a, in a prior segment. Absolutely, we have got to have a prior j- uh, a new a new jail. Uh, that's just out of the question. But you know, Superintendent says, you know, we're even, even if we select the site today, we're still gonna be operating and detaining people in this existing facility for probably five years or, or better. And you know, and just to just say, okay, well, we're just gonna uh, you know, you know, hold our nose until five years is up. What that's really saying is we're going to continue to see uh, the number of deaths occurring in that jail uh, remain at extraordinarily high levels, if not increasing, because as we move along, it gets harder and harder to recruit people to work there, mm-hmm. to stay there, um, we've seen, you know, multiple instances of people that have been recruited to work there having affiliations with, uh, with gangs and with, uh, with drug di- distribution networks, smuggling drugs into that facility uh, in a dangerous way. So, you know, this is, a, this is a situation where I think that, you know, what she's saying is like, I'm not tapping out. This is not a white flag. Arnal, this is a giant red flag to say everybody pay more attention to this because we've got to do something we've got to do it soon.
1: And I think that's right I mean her two foundations I mean when you look at all that she's done in terms of mm-hmm. financially supporting uh, innovative programs I mean the, I, I think it was over a million dollars to team for a program uh, initiative where they they were doing uh, employment navigation pre-trial release and and she's been very uh, very supportive of the Oklahoma County Diversion Hub and millions of dollars into uh, supporting diversion referral programs and other things. So um, and frankly one of her uh, latest uh, uh, philanthropic uh, uh, contributions was five million dollars to a foundation that is going to work in concert with the uh, uh, state uh, mental health and substance abuse on building this new mental health center here in Oklahoma City, the one that will be moved from Norman. So I think you're right uh, Ryan. I mean she's going to remain engaged because it's been a passion. It's not, it wasn't a passion that came with coming onto to a trust. or It wasn't a passion that uh, will leave now that she is off the trust. I think it is something where these significant uh, community leaders uh, are engaging in the bigger conversation and I think it does uh, beg the question of where they move forward in terms of uh, Oklahoma County and what they're going to do while they are still having to deal with all of these problems with the existing jail.
0: Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of this week in Oklahoma politics at donate.kosu.org. 3347.
2: Hey there, this is Ginny Mae Harms with KOSU, where we want to talk with you, not just at you. One way we connect with listeners just like you is through social media, like Instagram. So follow us at KOSU Radio, where you'll get a behind the scenes look into KOSU reporting, station news, and even ticket giveaways. Just follow KOSU Radio on Instagram, and we'll see you there.